0: Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. This week we're proud to continue with a session from the 2019 Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raices program. This session was entitled Fuerza and was centered on strong women of color characters. KXCI's Alva de la Torre interviewed authors Ron Quirri and Luis Alberto Urea, who discussed their signature works and the strong female characters in their stories. Nuestros Raices, Our Roots, is a group of Pima County Public Library staff members who work together to celebrate and honor the culture, voice, and linguistic heritage of our Latinx and Spanish-speaking communities in Pima County. This is part two of a two-part series. So I'd like to introduce our guests. Uh, Ron Query is an
1: internationally acclaimed author. He's of mixed Native American and European American descent and a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. His novel, The Death of Bernadette Left Hand, won the Border Regional Library Association Southwest Book Award. The novel was originally published in 1993 by Red Crane, and last November, Cinco Puntos Press reissued a 25th anniversary edition. He lives in northern New Mexico with his wife, fine art photographer Elaine Query and their cow dog shorty. Luis Alberto Urrea is the author of The Hummingbird's Daughter, published in 2006 by Back Bay Books, as well as many other bestsellers. Luis was born in Tijuana, Mexico, and currently teaches at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Luis, Teresita is certainly the central character of this novel, but Huila Huila. Huila is the force that supports and guides her. Can you talk about who or what Huila represents in Mexican culture? Ay,
2: que Huila. Yeah. You know... The kind of biblical principle that the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Mm-hmm. So many times in, in working on this, I saw that just in play as a kind of a spiritual rule for the world, right? And so in Tomas's haciendas, there was a woman who ran all the domestic staff and cooks. Mm-hmm. And her, they called her Wila, Flaca, the skinny woman. But her westernized name, they called her Maria Sonora. And Huila was real, and she took Teresita in, and she began training her. But those historians I told you about, not indigenous in any way, and certainly not feminists, they just said, oh, there was a maid named Maria Sonora who taught Teresita some cooking or something, herbs. And it was much greater than that. Most of you probably know this, but I came to live here to to work on the book. But I wanted to, you know, be closer to actual Yaqui culture rather than read about it all the time. And plus, Mr. Dingus at the historical society, <laughs> you know, I, is a great place to keep finding information about Teresita. But um, I met my cousins here, who were Mayo. Yaki and Apache. So you can imagine my delight. I was like, wow. what? I have cousins in Tucson and you're indigenous? What? And my cousin Esperanza was raised with a medicine woman grandmother, Maklovia Moroyoki. If you know the Moroyoki family line, whew, In the Mayo tribe. And in Esperanza, there was the Teresita bloodline and the Moroyoki bloodline. Wow. She had a lot of mojo. (laughs) And when I was writing the book, I was hitting dead ends. And she consulted with me every day on the writing of it. She was in her element. And she would take me out in the desert and make me feel the life force of cacti and stuff. And I'd be like, this is stupid. She'd say, you do it. Don't give me opinions. I was like... (laughs) But um, so every day I would say, I can't do this book. And she'd say, why not, mijo? And I'd say, oh, you know, it's Wheeler. I don't know how to train. I don't know. I'm not a medicine woman. I don't know how to. And she'd say, hmm, you know what Maklovia would say to me? Almost, you know, about like three weeks of stories about Maclovia, And I suddenly realized she was telling me, you've got a Wila right in the family line. Hmm. So all of Wila's teachings in the book... Are Maclovia's teachings. And they were from a a similar generation, we, of course, older, the similar milieu. And so Maclovia is very much present as a teacher. And dealing with Esperanza and and Maclovia, and then things like, you know, Vine Deloria was so generous to me that he would keep arranging things that I could attend, that he'd bring sacred people from all over the world, Mm. you know, Pele priestesses. I learned, do not mess with Pele. You know from hawaii and 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 bolivian but i started to understand i felt that Wila's message was very true in a really deep sense which was that there is a a, a sacredness matrix mm-hmm. aside from our metaphors aside from our religions aside from all those things there is this universal thing which I call the matrix of sacredness because I don't know what else to call it mm. and it is available and it's active and it's interactive you know it, it was amazing to me that martial artists would come to me and say oh she was a great kung fu master I said what <laughs> you know on tour in, in San Francisco a Chinese woman came very little English and she came up to me she said I know what this book is about and I said what And she said Tai Chi
1: <laughs>
2: but in a way some of the things she did were tai chi things so so i guess that was the element of of wheela it was brought by maklovia and it's funny to me i don't know what to make of it but since those books came out i mean the first one came out in 2005 and then queen of america the Mm -hmm. sequel a couple years later still when i go on tour somebody will either a holy woman will stand Mm -hmm. up and bless me which is makes me cry every time Mm -hmm or i was in denver and a chicana lakota woman brought me tobacco ties and i put a picture of them up and immediately one of my family members said satanic i was like come on man seriously you know are you that afraid but people still i just got back from doing an appearance in wyoming and some a woman came to me and she said i saw her I said, you saw who, her, who? You know, the, the indigenous woman that came out on stage. I was like, it was just me. But people, you know, oh. I don't know if people are just having some incredible new age hee haw stuff or it's if they're illegal. really We go in lots of places. Maybe too. it's Maclovio, you know. <laughs> and if she was there, she was probably scolding me. You know, keep it straight.
1: A couple more questions, and then we'll open it up to the audience. Um, so I'm curious as to Ron, are you? What are you currently working on? Are you currently working on?
3: Yeah, I'm. I have a long, a long project that I've I've been working on, which is a, a second memoir. Mm-hmm. I re- my first one is called I See by My Getup, and mm-hmm. uh, it's about meeting my wife and and, I've, and all sorts of things. But that was my mother's, fa- my late mother's favorite book, so mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm now working, I have a, a great deal more to do. It's, it's called, uh, the working title is Permanent Record. You know, we all were told, well, a lot of us of a certain age were told when we were in school that uh, if we did something, it would go on our permanent record. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I didn't doubt that at all. I always assumed that permanent records were kept... You know they were kept in those green file cabinets <laughs> in the principal's office, and everything, and and anything in it, and if, and if when you went later on in life to buy a car or get a job <laughs> or something, someone could 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 uh, look at your permanent record and and not not let you do it. Uh, <laughs> then I didn't know what happened to them later, and then I I somehow imagined that they were all in some large hollowed-out mountain up near in Colorado somewhere where they're kept but, but I've never seen my permanent record uh, but I've decided to, to write and tell tell everything I know and, and not hold anything back and, and uh, I'm not changing any names so Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. so be careful that's uh, w- what, you, what you tell me. But that's what I'm wor- working on now. Is this, I've got a couple of ideas for, for novels in my mind as well, but I, I need to finish this memoir first, and I think it's about done. So.
1: Luis, I know you've got something that you're working on.
2: Always working on something. You know, it's interesting. I was raised knowing Mexicanos, and all of my relatives were Mexican, because my mom, even though she was from New York, and was a socialite, when she married my dad and found herself on a dirt street in Tijuana instead of a hacienda somewhere, I think she never got over it. And she isolated herself from her entire family. So I never knew any of my white relatives, ever. And I realized that I have been spending my whole writing life defending my Mexican family and my border and la gente... and don't build a wall all that stuff i realized it was time to honor my mother as well and so uh i uh, my wife tells me stop talking about this book somebody's gonna steal it but (laughs) i'm working on a on a world war ii epic i've told you this last year but it's based on my mother's combat experiences in world war ii she was in the most forward group of women in combat in world war ii she and her two partners in a two and a half ton truck. It's just an insane story, and it's about things nobody knows about anymore. And there's only one of these women left alive. Yeah. And the weird thing is, it turned out that she was my mom's truck driver and best friend. Oh wow! And she's 102 now. Oh I my know. Gosh. And, you know, she, you would love her. I wish she could travel because I'd like to... You have to give her a Manhattan first, but once she's...
0: <laughs>
2: she's so amazing. Um, but that's that's the next project.
1: That sounds great. We'll, we'll look forward to both of those. Um, so we have a few minutes uh, for questions from the audience. I see a hand quickly in the back. Luis, how did your father and mother meet?
2: <laughs> My mom came back from World War II and uh, had a hard time re-entering New York society. So like many of the women coming back, she had, she had PTSD, I'm pretty sure. But um, she went to San Francisco. Everything goes in San Francisco. And uh, she actually was a bit of a bohemian. She lived in a houseboat in Sausalito. And she worked for iMagnon department store, the she-she. And she was a jewelry buyer. If you knew my mother, you'd know that she would like a nice ring on her hand, which she displayed constantly as she talked. My father was on the presidential staff of Mexico, and uh, he was sent to San Francisco with a group of senators and generals and the consulate through a party. It was probably 1948, 49. And uh, being a different culture than today, You don't get away with it now. But the Mexican consul called I Magnans and said, we need beautiful American women Mm. to dance with the generales. And the manager of the store just went to the jewelry department and said, ladies, we're going to go meet Mexicans. Let's go. (laughs) And my dad was a very charming character. And uh, he looked a little bit like Errol Flynn. You know, my, my I've 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 told this here before, but my his mom's my grandma her maiden name was Guadalupe Murray. Uh-huh. So we really are pretty much Irish people, Mexicans. Um, and he charmed my mom and they danced and b- before you know it, they got married in City Hall.
0: You are listening to a session from the two thousand nineteen Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestras Raíces program entitled Fuerza on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Avadella Torre is interviewing authors Ron Query and Luis Alberto Urea. Question, yes. Okay, I I will repeat the
1: the question. If Ron has gotten pushback uh, being a lighter-skinned Native uh, American writing about other cultures, Native American cultures that he's not formally a part of,
3: Yeah, I I I have to tell you that I all my life until until uh, uh, Bernadette was about to come out, I've never I never said to people I'm 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 an Indian or anything like that. Never did because I'd never thought of myself that way. The publisher at Red Crane Books wanted so much. Something, you know, and, and he said, you know, I worry about that you're not an Indian you're writing about this. And, and I said, well, actually, I'm a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. I have a membership card. The the, 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 uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Department of the Interior both recognize me as one that the chief and the tribal council do. Uh, these hearing aids I was putting I was putting batteries in just before this started. And Choctaws bought those for me. I mean,
0: <laughs>
3: that, they're $5,000, you know. I can't afford them. I'm a writer. But <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting that you, ta- that you mentioned, she mentioned Thomas King, who lives in, he's Cherokee, uh, mixed blood Cherokee. He lives in, uh, in Canada. He teaches up there. Uh, he He did a poem, which I wish you would google and, and, and watch him do, because there 's on YouTube or something you can see it, but it 's called uh, "Not the Indian you Had in mind and and I think he 's always had that uh, probably a little bit, and it 's a wonderful a wonderful thing to watch and he says i 'm not the Indian you had in mind, no I 'm that other kind and he goes and, and talks about this and that. And I, I haven't had too much. Uh, usually, usually it's from some, uh, when, I, when I did have a little bit of something, it would be somebody uh, uh, blue-eyed, blonde-haired girl in the audience who would say, well, uh, you know, you talk about alcoholism and, uh, and strong, strong drink in Bernadette and, and in Gallup, New Mexico. And, and uh, she said, that's stereotypical. And that's just the stereotype. And I say to her, I said, Have you ever been to Gallup, New Mexico? (laughs) And uh, I have many, many times in fact i've written a, a lot of my writing was done when I stayed in the El Rancho Hotel in Gallup, New Mexico, and I would uh, wake up early in the morning and see the see the Indians uh, the Navajos mostly who had just been let out of the world 's largest drunk tank coming down and, and it's it's uh, it's sad it's a sad state of affairs, but it is in fact if i if I mention it in my novel it's it's not that i'm you know trying to promote a stereotype that's just truth i try to tell the truth in these in these things and uh, i'm not concerned about it at all you know i'm not the indian you had in mind (laughs) (laughs) and i understand that and that's fine
1: all right another question yes so what major challenges did you face writing about teresita as a female character
2: Every word.
1: (laughs) It's a Um, 500-page book.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, if you put both of them together, they wouldn't let me do it all, the whole story in one go, because it would be longer than The Stand by Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I, I was so eager for people to know the story, but I didn't want to do it because i felt it was wrong for me to do it and i don't know if you know linda hogan she's a chickasaw writer and poet and a, a brilliant brilliant so i went to do my graduate work in boulder colorado like i said i wanted to study with her and i wanted to be around vine deloria who had been sort of coaching me via mail and i went to see her and she was the first person i told the whole story to i said you know i need to talk to you two hours we talked I told her the entire story of Teresita. And at the end of it, she said, wow, that's amazing. Do it. And I said, well, I was wondering if you'd do something for me. And she said, what? And I said, do you want to write it? (laughs) And she said, why would I write it? And I said, well, it's a woman's story. She said, she's your woman. It's your responsibility. Her blood is in your body, so figure it out. I was like, well... I said, you know, it's an indigenous story. I'm not indigenous. She was, but I'm not. And she said, well, what's your problem with telling that story? And I said, because, you know, the Western mind. I, I, and she, with this hand gesture, she said, honey, the Western mind is a fever. It will pass.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I... I, I I tried to pass the mantle on to several people who didn't want to take it on and it was my responsibility and so I started working on it and like I said, um, Vine especially sort of opened the doorway to a lot of sacred practitioners of all kinds of traditions and then you know a lot of indigenous friends from different Indian nations. And then you know, my family involved directly in Tedesita's life and workings. And it just seemed to me over and over that I kept getting signals to go ahead, to go ahead, to do it, to do it. And I will say that stuff started to happen, sort of um, what I would call now, if it were a piece of writing, the indirect means of telling a story. Imagery things that seemed to be urging me ahead. Um, so I did, but I never knew if I would publish it or not. And uh, I was really, as I was worried about this panel, I thought, you don't need a couple of guys mansplaining women to you, do you? <laughs>
1: um,
2: but uh, it, it, it felt right to me. And I, I relied on my teachers a lot and on my kind of family and uh, fellow writer critics a lot on what to do. And I realized that the ultimate feeling for me was, you know, I I know a lot of guys who write stuff about women, and they're very much like, I write about women. And I always tell them, you know, write about people, human beings. Don't, Don't say, oh, I get a special medal because I write about women. But, you know, to me, Tedesita was a person facing challenges that were so complex, some of which I knew. But some of them I had no idea about. So I just wanted to be honorable to her. I felt like I was in contact with her, as goofy as that sounds. And uh, I felt at the end of the day, it, it, I was okay with it. And, um, you know, I've been so moved by the response since it came out. And uh, it started going out around the world and things, and it, it, it touches me a lot. You know, it touches me. It's in languages I can't read, but that it meant something in China or in Israel. And I think, who knows what the Hebrew version first says? I have no idea. But you know, the thought that this, this sort of, uh, pushed around and pr- suffering predation, indigenous child in the desert of Sonora, could speak to the world again. Mm. You know, and my whole duty, I felt, was again to bring her back, to bring her back, to have people know her, and so in that, I'm I'm pretty happy. Um, so, it, but it was very challenging, and I, I Cindy, can tell you, I, I I sweat a lot and I cried a lot, <laughs> and uh, sometimes my entire, my entire, novel would disappear for no reason off the computer. Ooh. I know, I thought okay, Wila. I'll start again. <laughs> <laughs> but finally one got through, and I thought, okay, it's okay. But yeah, it's, it's a big responsibility. But I felt a great responsibility to the Yaqui people and to indigenous people. And, you know, I had to learn the history of my family. I had a responsibility to the Urrea people and, you know, to the, to the border and to the Mexican Revolution. There was a lot of stuff. And uh, once I felt so connected to her... I honestly felt like I was telling the story of my, of my cousin or my aunt, somebody I knew intimately well. And uh, I just tried not to be condescending ever.
3: Mm. Right. You know, along the, along the same lines, I think when, I, when, I, when I, I began writing Bernadette and I needed someone to tell a story and her, uh, her younger sister could, tell, could uh, talk to, talked about what they did and what, what they liked and that sort of thing. And she was not particularly, Gracie is not a sophisticated woman. She's barely 16 years old. Uh, she, uh, she just tells things as she sees them and, and knows about. And that was important to me. I, I love women's voices. I like women's voices better than I like men's. I like women better than I like men, for the most part. And I don't mean that in any bad way, but my friends have been. I was raised by women. Me too. And, and it just seemed natural to me. As a matter of fact, after Bernadette came out, I had a telephone call from some newspaper. I can't remember what it was now, or magazine. And they wanted to interview me on the telephone. Uh, a little bit for a review, and and the, the lady said, uh, she said you wrote most of this book in in women's voices, and I wonder how you came to do that. And I think I told her at the time, if not, I said to my wife when it was over, I said, you know, it hadn't occurred to me that I had, uh, and it just it just these were the voices that that we that that I used and that came to me for it, and and Louise talks about. His wife is an editor, and first sees these things uh, I believe i the sounds of words are so important to me. the sounds of them. I tell people that i'm one of the few people I know anyway that my lips move while I type uh, not when I read but when I type and I have to hear it i have to i have to hear those words and hear those sentences and hear the way that the Navajo people, for example, Mm. talk. Drop those G's. And they they wouldn't say things in the same way. And I, I, I don't want you as the reader... To find that, uh, you know, tiring, but I want to do it enough that you understand that that's the way that they talk. This book has been translated into German and French, and the German translator, when I met him, he said, "Oh, you you only made—I only found one mistake that you made." And I said, "This was in Berlin." He was smoking his cigarette backwards, you know, or however they they do, (laughs) because it was in fact in East Berlin. Oh, I- yeah. and he said i only found one mistake and i said well what was that he said well in one place you have a uh, an old navajo man talking about his wife and he talks about his wife he did this or his wife he did that and i said well that's 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 a very typical sort of a thing and, and he said oh and that's my first mistake," he said, <laughs> because I think he had changed it something in the in the thing. And I ne- I never know. I'm always I'm always sort of frightened about the 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 the, uh, trans, the uh, foreign editions because I, I have I remember once reading a part of uh, of Bernadette in France in front of a group of people who uh, uh, I think a lot of them spoke English and and I read a portion and and. Uh, somebody said, well, you know, that's not what it says in French and so I don't know, you know <laughs> and, and I, I, I worry that, that the wrong person killed somebody
1: or something. <laughs> you see, we're uh, going to close uh, out yeah. Yeah.
3: alright, well uh, we're going to go ahead and
1: close out this wonderful uh, Fuerza session uh, run Query Luis Alberto Rea, thank you
0: You've been listening to a session from the 2019 Festival of Books curated by Pima County Public Library's Nuestros Raices program entitled Fuerza on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson of Adela Torre interviewed authors Ron Query and Luis Alberto Urrea. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Schager. This has been part two of a two-part series You can find this and all recent episodes of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.